Please stand, if you are able, for this morning's scripture reading from Matthew, chapter 11, verses 16 through 19, and 25 through 30. But to what will I compare this generation? It's like children sitting in the marketplaces and calling to one another. We played the flute for you, and you did not dance. We wailed, and you did not mourn. For John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say, He has a demon. The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, Look, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom is vindicated by her deeds. At that time, Jesus said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and the intelligent and have revealed them to infants. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father. And no one knows the Son except the Father. And no one knows the Father except the Son. And anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal. Come to me, all you who are weary and are carrying heavy burdens. And I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Please pray with me. Lord, may the words of my mouth and meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. For you are our rock, our strength, and our redeemer. Amen. I went to Boston University for seminary. And while I was studying there at the School of Theology, we had the opportunity to cross-register, which I did more than I was supposed to do. But it gave me an amazing opportunity to be a student of Elie Wiesel, who is a Nobel laureate for writing the memoir Night, which was about his experiences as a teenager in a concentration camp during the Holocaust. I studied with him over a couple of years. I got to take more than one class, and together we read and read and read a book or two a week. And a lot of it was his own writing. I came to know more about what was important to him and some of the themes that he wrestled with. And this is a huge gift to me as a pastor, because he wrestled with big theological questions. 
and with the ethical questions that face us all as we live. One of the things he wrestled with a lot is how do we know what's right to do? One of the ways that he wrestled with this was through something he called madness. Madness. He wasn't talking about uh, mental illness. He wasn't talking about a physician's kind of well-being. He was talking about creativity and the imagination and how sometimes the only reasonable response to a world full of chaos and tragedy was a created world that was different or somehow on the fringe of our commonly accepted reality. So he talked about sages and dreamers and madmen. One of the stories he told was one from his own experience, which was of someone who had left the community as a young man. He lived, uh, Elie Wiesel grew up in a small village on the border of Hungary and Romania, left the small village to go to a, the city to study as a student. And years later came back a shadow of who he was when he left the village. He was a broken and a haunted person. He had become a madman, and he was full of urgency for his message to be heard by the people he loved at home. But few of the people in the village could bear to be around him. Because in this transformation that had happened while he was in the city, this student, who was one of their beloved children, who was one of their beloved neighbors, had become someone who was like a light shining directly in your eyes. Too intense. Too urgent. Carrying a message that was too shocking and unlikely to be listened to. So while initially all the neighbors invited him to spend Shabbat with them, wanted to hear his stories of the city, as soon as he began to speak and tell them what he had seen, they shut their ears and they closed their doors to him. And they sent him into exile. What had happened was this young man had been one of the first people deported to a concentration camp. And in those early days, he had found his way out of the camp and back to his home. And he was trying to tell them what was coming. And they couldn't hear him. And so they stayed where they were until the deportation came for them all. And this was a real-life experience that Elie Wiesel had that then became a point of thoughtfulness for the rest of his life. What does it mean to dwell close to the truth? What does it mean to have a reasonable response in a totally unreasonable world? How do we know what's right to do? He was interested in the way that wisdom might look like madness might cause us to break from the crowd, to challenge what's normal, what our institutions support, 
And Elie Wiesel is not alone in this. In fact, the people who came to this country from all over Africa brought with them a tradition that they shared with each other, generation by generation, even across the language differences, even across their cultural and religious differences. They had a shared tradition of the trickster, which has become part of our nation's founding understanding of itself. Perhaps you know many stories from when you were growing up, fairy tales in which the fool, the jester, plays an important role. These are all ways that we have of talking about prophets. In the Hebrew Bible, there are, generally speaking, three kinds of literature. They're the books of the law, they're the books of history, and they're books of wisdom. And it's the books of wisdom where all of the stuff about the prophets is found. Prophets take what's on the edges, what no one else is seeing, and move it to the center. That's why prophets are often seen as people who make others uncomfortable, right? Oftentimes, they're seen as people who don't get it or get how to do it right. This isn't the way it's done. This isn't the right process. Of course it's not, because the prophet is taking what no one else is doing and seeing, and they're moving it into the center. They're changing the order of priorities. The wisdom tradition is different from the comment that Jesus makes in our reading today about the wise. The word wisdom comes up a couple of times. The first time is when Jesus says this thing about how uh, wisdom is vindicated by her works. Right? You may recognize a similar thought from uh, the Apostle Paul. They shall know us by our fruit. Right? She'll judge us by our fruit. Wisdom is vindicated by her works. This comes from the wisdom tradition. This is a source of strength for people who are doing the work of the Holy Spirit, the work that takes us to the margins and the margins to the center. It's a source of strength because when you feel like you're the person that nobody wants to listen to, when you're driving all your neighbors away and you can't get a birthday party invitation, it's a source of strength to say wisdom is vindicated by her works. We'll see how this turns out. We'll see what bears fruit. If I walk in this way and I end up learning something important, about myself, if we end up meeting a group of people it was important for us to know and serve, ah, then we'll know that wisdom was in it all along. This is a Holy Spirit tradition. But this is different from later when Jesus says in his prayer, you've hidden it from the wise and the understanding, and you have given it to the infants. He's saying to God, you have not revealed the truth to the people who call themselves wise and understanding. 
but you've revealed yourself to the infants. That's because when Jesus is using this phrase, there's evidence in the original text of sarcasm. Yes, there's sarcasm in the, hum in the Bible. There are potty jokes too, but none in the reading this morning. Jesus is drawing a distinction from the prophets, who are often the troublemaking people, the problematic people that no one wants to spend time with, who have no security, who get put into exile by their neighbors for inconvenient truth-telling. And the people who call themselves wise and understanding, the institutionally recognized. Right? The ones who hand down the tradition and do it exactly the way that we all decided in a closed room hundreds of years ago it would always be done. The ones who study the law but do not practice love. Jesus makes a distinction between these two. The wisdom tradition is different from the wise according to institutional logic. I also want to point out this cool contrast in this verse, that when Jesus is praying and saying, God, you haven't revealed yourself to the wise and understanding, he doesn't go on to say, instead you've revealed yourself to the foolish, as we might expect. Instead you've revi revealed yourself to the jesters, to the tricksters, to the prophets as we might expect. Jesus gives us more than that. Jesus says, you've revealed yourself to the infants. How do we know what's right to do? How do we achieve true wisdom? What does an infant do? How does an infant practice productivity? What is the experience of relationship with an infant? Think about it for a minute and see if you can show me with your bodies what we know. Yeah. Yeah. An infant is held. Jesus is saying something about how God reveals God's self, reveals the path forward, reveals what is wise for those who rest in the Spirit, to those who observe the Sabbath, who rest from product productivity, for those who are willing to not forget all that we've learned, but choose to be a learner again and again and again. Reject the position of being the one who says, I'm wise and understanding, I'm the one who has the right to teach all of you, but instead, what more can I learn from someone who is younger than I am, from someone who is poorer than I am, from someone who didn't learn the language that I speak? What can I learn? Not just what can I teach. 
God reveals God's self, true wisdom, to those who can strip off the insulation that we accumulate as we grow in independence and nurture in this world to become vulnerable again. To become vulnerable again. There's a, um, a compassion meditation that comes from the Dalai Lama. It's a very simple one. The Dalai Lama invites us to imagine that um, in a world of infinite reincarnations where we are all one in the spirit, we would have to imagine that at some time every being on this earth was once the one who cradled us when we could not survive on our own. And in the same way, we were the one who cradled for every other being on this planet. Though God reveals to infants those who can strip off their insulation to become vulnerable again. All of these messages this month are inspired for me by the story of Jacob and Jacob's ladder, which is a vision that happened while Jacob was sleeping. Jacob's one of the patriarchs, one of the ways that we identify who our God is. His life story tells us about our life story and our faith journey. And he was a trickster and a troublemaker and an inconvenient person. And he was often trying to use his own wiles, not spending a whole lot of time checking in with God. And so he made a lot of people angry and not in wise ways. He also wasted a lot of time. He suffered a lot, personally. He was the one who wrestles and struggles. But there were a few key points in his life when he knew God profoundly and personally. And they were both when he was asleep. They were both when he was at rest in the spirit. That's when his body and mind could be open to the creativity, to the imagination of what was not at the center, but was, was going on around the margins, going on in the sky. And in Genesis 28:16, it says, when Jacob woke up from his sleep, he thought to himself, the Lord is definitely in this place, even though I didn't know it. So my invitation to you, inspired by these words this week, is that we begin to meditate on being held, being at rest in the spirit with all the longings that we have for this church, for our ministry, for our missional future together. Can we practice resting in the spirit? In your life, when you are called to make a decision, when you're called to take action, when you're going to visit somebody who's having a hard time, what if you took a moment ahead of time, before a word left your mouth or an errand was run, just to picture yourself being cradled by God? Allow that to become an inspiration for what comes next. Listen to that experience. Be at rest in the spirit. And we might find that even when there's a dance tune playing, we're not dancing. Or when there's a solemn moment, we're full of joy. 
and that makes things awkward. But that there is something prophetic and amazing having to do with God being in our midst, in our rest. Let us rest in the Spirit. Amen.